solution to that. Uh, I know what he was asking actually. And <laughs> 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 uh, I wanted to raise an issue of subscription. Ah, because you were just mentioning about that. I mean, one one of the problems that we see in ECMY is people who claim to be Lutherans, but they don't fully subscribe to the Book of Concord. I mean, as an individual, you have the right to believe whatever you believe for that matter. But uh, what does the Book of Concord say about subscription? Is it conditional Mm. or is it unconditional? Ah, that's an excellent question. And quite frankly, if we are going to confess that the Book of Concord is a faithful explanation of biblical teaching, then any rejection of any part of the Book of Concord is a rejection of faithful biblical teaching. So therein lies the problem. So for for someone to actually be legitimately, honestly, faithfully Lutheran, well, once we say this, this book is our confession. You you need to hold to it. Yeah. Uh, so, but you you raise an interesting point with the whole idea of confessional subscription, mm-hmm. and subscription meaning saying yes, this is mine. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditionally, historically, and still today, with with conservative confessional Lutheran churches, we say unconditionally, this is ours. Mm-hmm. Um, there are those who still want to claim the name Lutheran, but want the freedom to depart from Lutheran theology, which I don't really understand why at that point they don't just say, okay, I'm not really Lutheran, yeah. and go be what they want to be. But they don't. Uh, so they, they, they will subscribe or accept the confessions in a limited matter, uh, a conditional subscription. And very often that will get worded in something as, well, I hold to the confessions in as much as they agree with Scripture, which with that wording strongly implies that, well, there are parts of it that agree, but parts of it I think don't agree, so I'll hold the parts that agree, but I'll get rid of the parts that I don't agree. But that's honestly a meaningless subscription. I mean, the truth is I could say the same thing about the Quran. Uh, well, the Quran says there is one God. Okay, I hold to that part. Great. I reject almost the rest of it, but I, I can subscribe to that statement. Uh, how meaningful would that be? Obviously not at all. And, and that's what we see some of them doing. Now, I do believe the EECMY is in a somewhat unique situation because in, your con- in the EECMY Constitution, it doesn't say that we subscribe to the whole the Lutheran Confessions, yeah. or the whole Book of Concord. Yeah. When the church was founded in, was it 1959, and then we write the, and the Constitution is written, it specifically states the Augsburg Confession, the small and large catechism. Yeah. We have, the, of course, the ecumenical creeds also. Yeah. Yeah. So we have the creeds and then three of the documents in the, the Book of Concord. So being faithful to the EECMY Constitution doesn't necessarily mean you have to be faithful to the formula mm-hmm. or the small called articles um, or the apology even. But if we, at the very, very minimum, our commitment to our own EECMY constitution 
requires faithful adherence to the Augsburg Confession and the two catechisms. And, and again, our Constitution says those are a faithful explanation of the Bible's teaching. So if, we're, if anyone is go, in the EECMY is going to say, oh, yes, I'm a faithful EECMY member, but I reject that point from the large catechism, well, according to their own constitution, they're rejecting that point of faithful yeah. biblical teaching. Yeah. And at that point, you're no, if you say, well, yes, I say this is faithful teaching and I reject it, what are you? Yeah. I, I have to ask. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so they're, they're real, our constitution in the EECMY doesn't give us any room to reject any part of yeah. either mm-hmm. either catechism or the Augsburg Confession. Mm-hmm. Now, I would add to that, considering since if you've got a full if you've got a confessional commitment mm-hmm. to the Augsburg Confession, then really, even if you don't have a formal oath of adherence to the apology considering that that is written by the same man explaining what the Augsburg Confession says, that apology should be very important to you. And also, when you look at the formula, they say that this formula is really an explication or explanation of what the Augsburg Confession teaches. So again, this is the next generation of faithful Lutherans saying, this is what the Augsburg really means. So... If you're going to say, I have a constitutional, confessional commitment to the Augsburg Confession, then what Lutheranism's best theologians explain in the Book of Concord, this is what that Augsburg Confession means, those documents should mean a lot to you. Yeah. They should be, even if they're not in your constitution, they should be very important to you because they explain the document that you've already said, this is my belief. This is my confession. And I don't know anyone who really wants to say, this is what I believe. I don't know what it means, but I believe it. You know, who wants to do that? Yeah. So you've in the same book, compiled together, you have these beautiful documents yeah. explaining the document you say is your confession. Then learn the explanations. Take them seriously. I, I would make that plea. Yeah. I mean... Uh, when you take a look at our constitution, Macanesus, so you have explicitly stated we as Macanesus take hold and accept fully large and small catechism yes. and the Augsburg Confession. Yes. Even if we don't have the we don't have a room for the others as far as our constitution is concerned, the mere fact that we have taken the Augsburg Confession as our confession shows that we we believe what the other documents in the Book of Concord say. Would that be fair to say? You certainly should. They are a unit. They go yeah. together. Yeah. It's odd to say, I believe the statement, but I reject the same person's explanation of the statement. Mm. Yeah, that, that would, it would be strange for me yeah. to say, Henoch, I believe what you just said, but if you try to explain any further what you just said, I'm going to reject that. You know, that, that would be a strange thing for me to yeah. do. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's really sad, actually. Maybe in the long run, something would be done about this. That would be wonderful. I think so. Maybe, I mean, it's been more than, I think, 60 years now since uh, ECMY has been established, 1958, 59. It's yeah. been a while now. Uh, I don't know if this issue has ever been raised, but this is something I think, God willing, something we would consider. Oh, it, would be, it, it, it is my prayer. Yeah. 
that as the EECMY continues to look at and carefully study her own Lutheran identity and her own doctrine and practice, that at some point she would come around to re-examining confessional subscription and say, you know, when we're already committed to the Augsburg Confession and the Catechisms, we really should be committed to the entire book. Mm -hmm. We have Luther's small catechism. We have his large catechism. Why don't we have his small card articles? We should. We have Melanchthon's Augsburg Confession. Why don't we have his apology? We should. And we don't have the document he thought should be a later chapter of the Augsburg Confession, which we have. Why don't we hold to that treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope? When we already have the key document from this author, why don't we have his supplements? We should. And then finally, why do we not have the ultimate commentary on the Augsburg Confession yeah. in the Book of Concord, the, the Formula of Concord? I, I would love for the EECMY leaders and theologians to have that discussion and to even more solidify and clarify th their beliefs. I think that would be very good. I mean, maybe uh, in your synod, uh, how does this thing work? For example, if people who claim to be Lutherans, but if they are found to contradict what the Book of Concord says, uh, how do you deal with, with such an issue? Well, um, first of all, to become a pastor in that church, in my ordination, I make a vow before God and the church that everything that I believe, teach, and practice is in full agreement with the 1580 Book of Concord. Okay. So if I'm going to change my beliefs or my teaching or my practice, first of all, I'm violating an oath to God. That yeah. should be that we shouldn't even have to bring the church <laughs> yeah, into it. God's true, enough. True. Yeah. He's everything. Um, but I did also make that oath before the church. And this is true also for a congregation to be a member of the larger church body. The congregation is also committed to this same book of Concord. So if the pastor or the church departs from that, of course our first steps are gentle, try to teach, discuss, show them, show the error. Um, and we have multiple levels to do that. From, from, you know, we'd be the equivalent of maybe first parish discussions, yeah. then synod discussions, then finally going to the ultimate, to the head of the church body. Yeah. We, we would have something similar to that. But ultimately, if a pastor or a church is going to violate the, the teachings or beliefs of the Book of Concord, ultimately they will be removed from membership from our church. If they refuse to correct their teaching, if they refuse to repent from false teaching or erring practice, and they insist on holding this, then they, they rightly can't be a part of our church body. Yeah, that's great. I was thinking uh, if people are if people were here in the last maybe forty or fifty minutes, we have been mentioning the Book of Concord, Luther, and the Confession many times, and they might think that we are obsessed with. With Luther or with the Book of Concord, but I don't think so. That's the truth. Yeah, I think we are more obsessed with the true explanation of the Word of God yes. that is found in the Book of Concord. Yes, yes. Yeah, so great. Uh, maybe two last questions. Okay. Uh, I think all of us are the products uh, of our time, 
and uh, I think our generation is really uh, tied to something new. Uh, we demand something new. Uh, if something is not new, I think it would be out of the game. Uh, but when we need, but when we see our confession, uh, it is 500 years old. And why are we still tied up to our confession? That is really, really old. Ah, excellent question. And I think I would start that whole discussion with, and I think you're right with where you're, I know you and I are separated by a generation, but both of our, in these times, um, even the generation before me was already upset in, in the West. I don't know if, uh, if Western media had inundated Ethiopia yet at that time and brought with it, it's bad as well as it's good. Um, but for my, my in the United States, and my, even my parents' generation, and certainly my generation down to your generation, there's an obsession of new, 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 better. Well, I think we have to, in the church, then we need to start this discussion with, well, so do you want a new God? <laughs> and hopefully the answer is no. We like the old one. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we don't need to replace Jesus. We don't need no. to replace the God of the Bible. Uh, God, there is only one God, yeah. and He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change, no. and God's Word does not change, and so the teaching of God's Word does not change. Mm. The application changes, mm. but the teaching of the the Word itself, what that Word means, does not change, and so for that reason, we don't need to change books. Um, and I would also challenge the assumptions of our generations that new is always better. Yeah. Mm. We should still value the wisdom of our grandfathers. Mm. You know, our, our fathers were not stupid men. Mm. Their fathers were not stupid men. And their fathers before them were not stupid men. We should value the wisdom that they had. We, we should hold on to, can we add to the treasury that we have? Can we develop and learn new things? Of course. But we should not do it at the expense of the previous treasures that our forefathers gathered and preserved for us. And certainly that is especially true in, in, the, in the issue of our church. God doesn't change. His yeah. word doesn't change. The meaning of his word doesn't change. And so, and obviously, as I said already, application changes. Um, so we do need to have discussions. Well, how does this apply to my generation? How does this apply to my times? But that's a different discussion than asking, yeah. what should we believe the Bible teaches in our times? The teaching is the same. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. We, we could pick any any teaching that we want to. Um, you shall not steal. You know, take that one back to Old Testament times. Yeah. It, it's pretty simple. You know, your possessions were in your gibby, and somebody else sneaks in and takes them. That's stealing. Mm -hmm. Someone owes, borrows something from you, and never gives. But it, it's all stuff. Yeah. Well. Okay, so now we take this to our times. Well, stealing can also be intellectual property that didn't exist in those days. It can be 
it, it, it can involve internet yeah. theft or things like that. The teaching of what it means, don't take someone else's property is still there. We just have to understand now there are, there are new kinds of property. What the Bible teaches doesn't change, but how it applies today might change. And we could say similar things about faithfulness in marriage you know, versus uh, Abraham living in a tent versus us today with internet pornography. What the Bible teaches that God clearly says human sexuality is specifically reserved for one man and one woman in marriage for life, that doesn't change. But how we have to apply it to what happens on the internet? Well, okay, we have a new application, but the teaching hasn't changed. Uh, so yeah. if the teachings of the Bible don't change, then our book that explains the teachings of the Bible doesn't need to change. So we can rest comfortable with our book of Concord, knowing that it is ex explaining the teachings of an unchangeable God. Is that fair enough? Yeah, but just okay. a, flo a follow-up question, because lately I've been uh, hearing people saying contextualizing theology. Maybe, uh, maybe you can correct me on this. Uh, what do they mean when we when they say contextualizing theology? Do they mean, uh, as you said, application or uh, changing what the Word of God teaches through our time, uh, through our region, through our country? Because most of the time when we deal so when we deal with our pastors or with people who are in a higher position, when we say we have to stick to our Lutheran heritage, uh, they would say that, uh, you know, the Lutheran theology is not uh, something that we Ethiopians created. It's not our culture. It's something that came from the Western uh, culture. So we need to contextualize the Western theology to our uh, theology. So what do they mean? If I'm mistaken, feel free to correct me. So... Are they talking about the application or changing it? That's not an easy question to no. answer because different people mean different things by it. And part of what confuses it is that I honestly don't know anyone anywhere on the spectrum who says culture is entirely irrelevant, ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody says that. Yeah. Uh, but where a conservative biblical Christian is going to say, God does not change. His word does not change. His teachings do not change. The only thing that changes is how that teaching will apply to a particular culture. Well, that's one statement. And I would say that's true. So again, we could go back to, say, the biblical teachings on marriage. Those teachings, one man, one woman for life, don't change. But the application is going to be very different to a tribal area that practiced polygamy. Yeah. You're going to have to apply it one way there. But you're going to have to apply it a very different way to a liberal area that has rejected God's word and yeah. now embraces homosexual marriage. You're going to have vastly different applications. Or an application to a Western society that just says, oh, we've outgrown the whole idea of marriage you know, we live, we live with who we want to when we want to, and we do what we want when we want. You're going to have different applications. The teaching doesn't change, yeah. but the application changes. Now, yeah. any conservative will say that. The application changes. So even the conservatives say, well, yeah, cult yeah culturally, we have to consider this. Yeah. But 
that's not what everybody means. Mm-hmm. And when we get down to, and then, but we go in different directions. So we've got liberal churches that honestly don't believe the Bible actually is the word of God. Mm-hmm. And so they will think that the, the word itself might be an error and the word itself might need to be changed, and they will hold society and culture at a very high level of authority alongside this Bible that they really essentially think contains errors. And so for them, culture and Bible are vying for authority, and culture may get more authority over it. Then, of course, there is the whole postmodern idea that really... Um, I, I do want to say here, I, I, one thing I've found with a number of my students is that they often think postmodern means living in the world with the results of modernism. So postmodern means we have televisions and we have yeah. internet. and But post that's not postmodern. Postmodern is a philosophical movement. And the truth is, postmodern philosophy was designed to destroy the philosophy and values that were already in place. It, it, is, it is not designed to create new values. It is not designed to create stable beliefs. It is only created to tear down and destroy the stable beliefs that were there before. And so postmodernism really attacks our understanding of communication. It attacks our understanding or belief, even in the idea of truth or right or wrong. And postmodernism really pushes us into a realm of believing everything is subjective. Everything is conditioned. And so for the postmodern, there can be no such thing as an objective, certain biblical truth. Everything that the Bible has to say, indeed everything that anything or anyone has to say, must be conditioned by the hearers, mm. by the receiving culture. And so the, the receivers ultimately give the meaning and give the definition. And so again, if you're talking to someone like that now, when they say that it has to be culturally conditioned, what they're really saying is the culture needs to give its own interpretation, its own meaning, its own value. And the words themselves don't hold that value. The culture creates a value. Now, that's very, very troublesome for a Christian who says, this is the word of God. Because now you've just said, God has given me his word, but that word holds no authority. My group and I, we hold the authority. Well, if I hold the authority over the word of God to change the word of God, then I have authority over God. That means I'm God. (laughs) That's not a good thing. Not for Spiritually, that's horrible for me. And to be honest, if I was God, it'd be horrible for everybody else because I'd make a really bad God. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I, I can't do that well. So, but that's where postmodernism goes. And, and the problem I see is so often these days, the discussions of culture and context tilt more to either the liberal or the postmodern, and they're undermining and destroying the established clear meaning of the words that God gave us. Uh, For example, you know, what what you were talking about, uh, the claim that, oh, well, this stuff came from Europe. um, It's not Ethiopian. We need to to have our own. 
The problem with that is the words of Scripture didn't come from Europe either. And the meaning of those words really don't come from Europe either. These words were given by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, given to men in the Middle East, I guess we'd say, in in Israel. It's not European. If anything, it's Middle Eastern Jewish. But the meaning of the words shouldn't come from any culture. The meaning meaning of, of words come primarily and must come primarily from the person who gives the words. Just us talking now, I shouldn't be the one decide, as you speak, I'm not free to just make up my own meanings for Henoch's words. I don't get to do that to you. You said, yeah, by yeah, I think think you just meant, no, (laughs) you had a meaning for that word. So, and this is true of everything. Prime Minister Abi makes a speech. We don't sit back and invent meanings for his words. He is a clear speaker. He has an intended message, and we receive and we respect the message he gives as he intends it. Well, why would we give God less respect than we give Abi? I mean, rightfully, we, we owe our prime minister high-level respect. Yeah. Romans 13 tells us every authority established is there by God's authority. I respect the prime minister. I have to respect God even more. So if I'm going to see a message from the prime minister and say, oh, I, it's up to me to, I need to understand what he said and what he meant, and I must live under his rule. I don't have the freedom to twist his words. I can't redefine his intentions. I can't make up for myself what I want him to have said. I have to receive his words as he gave them. I have to obey them as he intended them. Certainly I have to do that with God. So when we're going to talk about our theology, well, what is our theology? That's just the teach, what we believe the Bible teaches about God. Where do we get that teaching? From the Bible. Well, where do those words come from? From God. We have, the meaning has to come from the text itself. Not from my culture, not from yours, not from anyone's. We owe God that respect. The author has an intended meaning, it is our responsibility to respect that meaning. Yeah. So and that even um, maybe going further with Henoch's question, when, when you look at our Augsburg Confession, Article 1 deals with God, and it's got not, it has got nothing to do with culture. Right. The way they answer it is biblical, yes. not culture-based. And you go to Article 2, it's Article 1, original sin. Irrespective of where you are, you're supposed to believe that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. It doesn't matter if it, if, if it came from Germany, from Israel or Ethiopia, original sin, the teachings that we have, it's just biblical, it's not cultural. Yes, yes. And Article 3 is on Christ, the Son of God. It's not cultural as well. So, and, you, and you can keep doing yeah, that exactly as you go right down the list. Yes. <laughs> so for people who claim that because Augsburg Confession came from Germany, uh, say from uh, Wittenberg uh, 500 years ago, and then we have to reject that, it doesn't hold true. Even biblically ex- examined, right. uh, we just have to put that uh, 
tag that in the app. Yeah. The rubbish. Yeah. But along with that, once we clear as as we read our Bibles and we understand the intended meaning God has for those words, again, we do have to ask the question, how does this apply yeah. in our culture? Yeah. Uh, that, and, and as examples I gave before, I think yeah. it makes the point I'm trying to make. So I, I won't true. keep going on and yeah. repeating it yeah. again. Yeah. Irrespective of where we are, yes. there is an objective reality. Yes. So we can't change that. And, and I've, I've heard this argument plenty of times, to be honest. And in terms of contextualizing the Augsburg Confession and, and the other confessions that we have, or the, the, the Book of Concord, in terms of application, it, it, we have to for sure contextualize it. Yes. But as far as the truth that is contained in it, we don't have Ethiopian truths. No. Yeah. Separate from the word of God. No, yeah. that, that's true. There is not the American truth, yeah. the German truth, and yeah. the Ethiopian truth. There is God's truth. Yeah. And, when, and when we're talking about church and Bible, there is God's tr- truth, and that is over and above every culture and every people. True. And even when we take a look at the Augsburg Confession, the way they wrote it and the intention behind the, the Augsburg Confession, it wasn't just a Germanic right. uh, document. Yeah. Right. They, they wrote it for the whole church in the entire world. Yes. And uh, so even even though, even though they don't know us, as they were writing it, they had us in their mind. I doubt, I, because uh, for... Luther and the, our Lutheran confessors, even when they were uh, debating with Zwingli, and they wanted to accept, they wanted them to accept the Augsburg Confession so that we would be of the same confession in the same church. And one last, one last question, because we've been talking about the Book of Concord for maybe an hour and so, uh, and we mentioned that it's a thick book and plenty of document within the Book of Concord, and for a layman who would be sitting and listening. Uh, is it an easy book, or is it digestible at least? Is it tackleable in terms of reading it bit by bit? I would say yes. There are going to be theological words in there in places that are difficult. But overall, yes. Especially, I would say especially Luther's writings. Luther is a man who speaks to the common people. Even for a the, even as a theologian, he still generally wants to speak to the common people. Mm-hmm. So certainly, the lar- the small catechism, the large catechism, the small called articles. I think anyone can read those. the the There will be some stumbling blocks because they're written at a time in history where they have to deal with the history that's happening then, and so they're going to mention the names of people that our our listeners today wouldn't know. Yeah. Names that I didn't know until I went to seminary in a history class said, you have to learn this name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah. So there are going to be names where you scratch your head and say, who's that? I don't know. And they're going to point out some heresies mm-hmm. that people are never going, will not have heard of before. Mm-hmm. And there will be some words that may be a little difficult because they're theological terms. Mm-hmm. But most of it, they can work their way through. And for any of your listeners who are EECMY, certainly they should have a pastor who has been exposed to these things in seminary training. So they could always save those questions and find their pastor. Pastor, 
I was reading the large catechism, and here, right here, I don't know what this word is. Can you help me? And I, every pastor I know would, one, be excited that he has a parishioner who wants to learn more and is trying to study these things and would be happy to help with that. So that, I would say yes. Um, maybe needing help, but yes. So maybe if our audiences want to check out the Book of Concord, uh, if they want it in soft copy, they can go to bookofconcord.com or org. If I'm not mistaken. Org, org. Org, yeah. yeah. So you can find the Book of Concord for free uh, in this website. And maybe if they want it in Amharic, uh, maybe just contact us. Uh, we could help you with that. Uh, as you said, uh, as we have said, uh, it's really exciting book and you will be blessed by that. And as a Lutheran, uh, next to the, the next to the Bible, our uh, most precious book should be the Book of Concord. So you can contact us, and we could help you with that. I know P- Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Yes, he, he went to the same seminary that you went to. He was one year behind me. Yeah. Yes. So then I was I was checking out his YouTube channel, and this is what ah, he says: okay. next to the Bible, the best thing that we have is the Book of Concord. Yes. And he said, especially the small small colored articles. <laughs> <laughs> and the same should be true for all people who, who claim to be Lutherans. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so I think we have finished our uh, episode with Pastor Eric on the Book of Concord. And, uh, it has been a great pleasure for us uh, listening to you. It's been a great joy visiting with you both yeah. again. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, next time we're going to meet with a, with a new topic, maybe on the small, small and large characters. So. Uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, and then, peace be with you.